As we uh, prepare to celebrate baptism, as we try to do this once a year where we just emphasize uh, baptism, you, you think to yourself for just a moment, why in the world should we dedicate a whole day to dunking people in the water? Well, because Jesus, first of all, really emphasized baptism in the Bible. For example, in our passage today that we'll just read in just a few moments, Matthew chapter 3, the Bible says that Jesus began his ministry by being baptized. And then when he closed out his ministry right before he ascended up into heaven, Matthew 28 tells us in the, what we call the Great Commission, he says, go and baptize, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus began his ministry with baptism and then ended his ministry with baptism. But not only that, but I believe that a message on baptism every once in a while is very important because there's so much confusion about baptism. I remember when I came here, 20, Pam and I came here 25 years ago, they had just started a, a membership class here. Uh, most of you, if not all of you, have been through that before one time or another, but we didn't have one until about six months before we even arrived, and they only had one class. And I asked the question, well, why now? Why did you start this membership class now, even though it's a great thing? We had it at our last church, in fact. But he said, why now? So because there's so much confusion about baptism. That was the reason. So let's just have a class explaining not only baptism, but salvation, the doctrines of the church, things like that. Confusion with so many people coming from so many different churches and denominations and parts of the country. There's confusion over baptism. I mean, after all, we have a right to be confused. Some, some dunk, some pour, some sprinkle. Some churches baptize infants, some only adults. Some say that it's part of your salvation. Some say that it's not. And so we have a right to be confused. And this morning, what I want to do is not so much look over what uh, the Baptists or Methodists or the Catholics or uh, the Presbyterians believe about baptism in different churches and looking down through history and things like that, I want to look at what the Bible teaches about this seemingly important subject. So whatever it means, it must be important because Jesus put so much emphasis on it. So we're going to be looking at this very, very easy this morning, very easy and quick. I'm going to spend most of my time, in fact, on the very first point and talk about what. What is the meaning of baptism? Then we're going to look at the how. How should we do it? And then we're going to look at the who. Who gets to be baptized and finally the when. Most of it again on that first part. So let's look at Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, and see if we can answer some of these questions this morning. Then Jesus came up from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting <clears throat> for us to fulfill all righteousness, then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Wow, what a celebration time. The whole trinity of God was involved in this. The Father saying something from heaven, the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, big, big time in the life of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, we look at what does, first of all, what does it mean? Well, please keep in mind when it says in verse 13 that he went from Galilee to Jordan, that was 60 miles. 
And so Jesus traveled 60 miles to be baptized by John the Baptist. I want you to concentrate on this one word in verse 13, baptized. And then again in verse 16, baptized. What does that word mean? The the meaning of anything is, is really founded and grounded in the words that we find in the Scripture. The word baptize, baptize it comes from a word in the Greek, baptizo. Now, it's a very unusual word in the fact that it's not even translated. All the other, most, most words in the Bible are translated into English or into another language. The word baptizo is actually a transliteration. And what I mean by that, it is pronounced in English. The beta is the second letter of the alphabet. It starts off with a beta, so it's a B in English. And then alpha is an A, and a, and a pi is a, is a P. And so it's spelled out that way. It wasn't even translated. It's a transliteration of a word meaning to wash. It means to immerse. It means to submerge into something or to dip. Originally, this word did not have any religious connotation with it, uh, on it whatsoever. In the Old Testament times and before that, it just simply mean, means that. It meant to wash something or to dip something, to, to have a horseshoe uh, placed into a, a, a vat of water in order to cool it off. It was submerged completely. And so at first it wasn't even anything to do with anything religious. In fact, in the Bible, once it became part of our faith, Here's what the word baptizo was used. Here's how it was used. In Mark 7, it says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not, do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. This word wash means it's just simply the word baptizo. That's what it is. They baptize their hands properly. John 13, 26, Jesus answered, It is whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon (coughs) Iscariot. This word dip is the same word, baptizo. He baptized the bread into uh, this morsel of bread and gave it then to Judas. And so it it didn't have any religious connotation. Even when it did, it was used in the New Testament for other things as well. And so let me just give you a little bit of background to this. In the intertestamental period, and in fact, you just need to kind of understand this a little bit before you can really understand how the word is used. In the uh, intertestamental period, and that time between Malachi, uh, the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, when that ended and the book of Matthew started, when really the birth of Jesus started, there was 400 years of silence. There's nothing about uh, that in the Bible. The intertestamental period was a time where uh, eventually John the Baptist, the next prophet to come on the scene, would uh, pave the way for Jesus Christ. But during this time, the Jews were kind of blessed. And a lot of people wanted to become part of the Jewish faith. So to do that, they would have to do a list of things, circumcision, a lot of other stuff. But one of the things that they had to do was to go through a ceremonial washing. And they would do that themselves, like a bath. But it would be ceremonial. It would be uh, kind of religious in, in, in experience. And so back then, it started as a religious rite by simply saying, look, we need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. And so we're going to bathe ourselves ceremonially in order to become Jewish. Then 
in the New Testament times, John the Baptist took this saying, well, this is part of being converted to Judaism, and so I'm going to use this as a point of repentance. In verse 11 it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but you, he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so we find here the first time it's used where someone is baptizing you. They're not baptizing themselves. They're baptizing, somebody else is baptizing you. And so we look at this, and here's the confusion. The confusion that we have in the Bible, just in the Bible alone, about baptism is that there's four different types of baptism in the Bible. And when we read about one, we think, well, it must be this. No, it's this one, it's this one, it's this one. Or we think about them as kind of all being one just kind of the same baptism, but it's not. Let me show you why. The first baptism that we see is the baptism of John. It's a baptism of repentance. It's a time where people demonstrated their repentance and getting ready for the Messiah to come by getting baptized. You've shown your, you, your repentance, your heart, that you were turning away from sin and getting ready for the Messiah by getting baptized. Well, that was John's baptism. He was getting ready for Jesus. Jesus has already come. And so we don't participate in John's baptism for repentance anymore. It was for a time. It was for a season to get ready for Jesus. Second type of baptism is the baptism of Jesus himself. Look back in verse 13. It says, um, he says, Then Jesus came to Galilee, to Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me, and Jesus said, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. John consented. Why? Because he wanted to do the will of God. That's what that means. To fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill the scripture, and to fulfill the will of God for the life of Jesus Christ. What was that will? Well, notice what happened right after this. The Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, according to verse 16. According to verse 17, the voice from heaven came from the Father to say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So this baptism was significant. Why was it significant? Because Jesus at that point, as an adult, was committing himself to the cross. Now he did that out of heaven, born in a manger, lived for 30 years, but now that he's an adult, no, no recollection here of history or uh, in the Bible where Jesus ever committed a miracle, where Jesus ever had a lot of followers. In fact, his own family did not believe he was the Messiah for a long time, except for Mary. And so we find these things going on in the life of Jesus Christ. And suddenly he leaves here, goes into the desert, Matthew 4, is tempted of the devil, comes out and starts his ministry for 30, three and a half years rather, three and a half years with a journey to the cross. At this point, he identified with us by being baptized. I'm being identified as a man. And then when I'm coming up out of the water, I'm going to start my ministry and I'm going to make a beeline for the cross. As an adult, he was committing himself to the righteousness of God, the will of God, the rule of the father in his life to give his life on the cross for us. Now, that was a one-time event. I don't get baptized, you don't get baptized the same reason that Jesus was baptized, though it gives us some hints about the identifying part about really what baptism means uh, to us. But we don't get baptized. I'm not, I'm not making a beeline for the cross, nor are you. 
it was a one-time event. It's confusing, but it's a one-time event. Third baptism, the spirit baptism. Now, this is alluded to, I believe, in verse 16, where Jesus, when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended upon him. Paul puts it this way. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, meaning the body of Jesus Christ or the church. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we are all made a drink of one spirit. Really what that verse in a nutshell is saying is that once we receive Jesus into our heart at salvation, we are baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit. And what that means is I'm saved. I, I receive Jesus into my life, into my heart. I'm saved. And at that point, I'm baptized by the Holy Spirit, whether Jews or Greeks, you know, Jews or non-Jews, uh, slaves or free, whoever you are, that's the way we come. And we join the body of Christ through that spirit baptism. So then what's believer's baptism? That's the fourth type. What are we doing out here today? What if uh, during this past today and last week, like 17 people or so have done already. What have they done? They, they're involved in believers' baptism. Matthew 28 tells us about it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Making the disciples first. Salvation occurs. And then what happens afterwards, that outward expression of my salvation happens at baptism. So what is it? It's, it's really believers' baptism is saying on the outside, I'm testifying on the outside, what has already happened to me on the inside. I was baptized by the Holy Spirit, and now I am telling everyone that I've been saved. I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so with that, we look at the, the meaning. Now, I've got to say one more thing before I really look at the three things that really baptism means. I've alluded to a couple of them, but I need to say one more thing. What baptism is not. We don't believe the Bible teaches at all that the that uh, baptism is a part of your salvation experience. The Bible teaches all throughout the Scripture that a person receives Christ by, by really receiving Christ into the causal core, what the Bible calls it the heart, the heart of the person. It is, a, it is a supernatural experience done by the Spirit of God, not by the, the, the works of our hands. Nothing that happens on the outside, whether it's the Lord's Supper, whether it's baptism, whether it's good works, feeding the poor, whatever it may be, none of that works. It's all by the grace of God, by us calling upon the name of the Lord. Now, if baptism has something to do with your salvation, then only a few people in the Bible knew about it. And Here's one of those verses. In fact, it's one of the few verses that really uh, would give anyone uh, a cause of a problem at all. It happened in Acts chapter 2. Peter was preaching his very first sermon. And he's coming out, remember, of John's baptism of repentance. That's still on his mind. He lived during that time, probably went through John's baptism of repentance. He was ready for the Messiah. And so now he's coming out and He's preaching a sermon, and here's what happened. Now they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The Bible tells us they were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I read that. And if I just read that and out of context with the rest of the Bible that does not teach that, then I'm thinking, okay, well, I've got to get baptized in order to get saved for the forgiveness of sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, 
the whole thing rises and falls on this little preposition for. And in the English transliteration, it's E-I-S, E-I-S, okay? And it can mean 17 different things and does mean 17 different things in the Greek language. And so it means for here, or it could mean because of. Because that you've been forgiven of your sins and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do you know? Well, we don't know except for the context of the rest of the Bible. For example, the Bible says in Romans, Paul said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nothing there about baptism at all in that whole passage. The Bible says, Jesus said, as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the children of God, John 1, 12. Uh, we see this over and over and over again in the Bible, and yet we've got this one verse. So why, why would they translate it for instead of because? Well, because uh, in the early church, by the time we got to uh, uh, the year uh, 1200, 1300, 1400, um, infant baptism, baptism by sprinkling, and uh, uh, really regeneration, what we call regeneration baptism, that is baptism being part of your salvation, was being practiced by a lot of people in the church. It wasn't in the early days. It's not in the Bible in that way, but it was by then when some of the translations were made, the Wycliffe translation, the King James translation, the, the churches that translated those Bibles uh, and those translations we're already practicing this. So when you're going to interpret something, you've got a choice. You're really going to interpret it the easiest way for you and the things that you're already practicing. But here it could mean for or because. For example, Billy the Kid, back in the Western days, Billy the Kid wanted for murder. You see the poster. You can see it now, right? Cigar hanging out of his mouth, kind of gruffy little beard, and a cowboy hat on. Say, yeah, wanted for murder. That's right. Why, why do you want Billy the Kid? Well, because I want him to commit a murder for me, right? I mean, it couldn't mean that. Billy the Kid wanted for murder. Or you could say he's wanted for murder because he committed murder. The translation can go either way. And so when we're looking at the Bible and say, well, you only need one verse, be careful about that. Because in translation principles, much like the rest of literature, the author majors on the things that are most important to him. And in the Bible, God majors on the things that are most important. The most important thing, the theme of the Bible, is salvation. If you miss it there, you miss it all. That's the theme of the Bible. So if baptism was part of our salvation, God would mention it over and over and over and over again. And every time he called somebody to repentance, anytime he called somebody to salvation, he would talk about baptism, but he doesn't. Not at all. So what does it mean? He said, well, if it's not part of your salvation, then why do it? Why did Jesus do it? Why did he commanded us to do it? It's important, so why is it important? Three reasons. Number one, and this is the main reason, it's your profession of faith. Say that with me. My profession of faith. Say it again. My profession of faith. You say, well, it's just all about the symbolism, or I'm not into the symbolism. No. The symbolism is part of the beauty of it. That's the second reason why we do it but not the most, second most important reason. It's really the third most important reason is the symbolism. The most important thing in the New Testament times, you profess Christ not by coming forward like in a big crusade. You didn't do it by, by simply telling everybody around you. You did that by following the Lord and believers' baptism, and that's something that has been traced through church history all the way through. Right now, in fact, back in the 1980s, 
I was pastoring a church, late 80s, early 90s, before we came here in Atlanta, Georgia. And we had some people join our church from Romania and Russia. And it was funny because they would translate uh, right there in the pew. I mean, I'd be preaching and I'd be hearing this mumbling going on the entire uh, sermon. So I had to kind of get used to it. But they were translating uh, the messages I was preaching. And uh, they told me when they were in Russia and Romania, the communist countries back during that time, they could... uh, they could go to a Bible study, and they'd get perse- persecuted for that, for sure. But they could say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. It wouldn't mean anything. They wouldn't lose their job. They wouldn't get really persecuted, not by the government at least. But once they were baptized and went public with their decision and advertised themselves as a believer in Christ, the persecution immediately came. They lost their job. They, they were threatened with jail. Many of them went to jail. And the, the people that I had in my church escaped those countries to avoid going to prison because of their faith. Chuck Colson, the late uh, author and statesman, said this, Most Westerners take baptism for granted. For, for many in the world, the act requires immense courage. In countries like Nepal, it once meant imprisonment. For Soviet and Chinese or Eastern Bloc believers, it was like signing their own death warrant. And so here, what we are doing is making a profession of faith. We're going public. We're identifying with Jesus. Remember one of the reasons why Jesus was baptized, in fact, the reason, was to identify with man, identify with us so we could take our place on the cross. We get baptized to identify with Jesus Christ and his church, to go public, to let people know that we're serious about our surrender to Christ. Second reason is the symbolism, and it's a beautiful thing. Listen, every church has symbols. You go into church, and some have incense, some have the Lord's Supper as their, uh, or communion as some sort of symbolic thing going on. Every church has their symbols, and so we have this one called baptism. And it's a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And we were raised to walk. We're raised to walk for the, from the glory of the Father. We, too, might walk in newness of life. And so here's the picture. When I receive Christ, when you receive Christ into your life, you died to the old way of life. You can just imagine the water level being like a grave. And you died to the old way of life, and you were raised to walk in a new way of life. That's what happened to you at salvation. Died to the old way of life, repented of your sins, raised to walk like Jesus walked, of a new life, born-again experience. Baptism pictures that. I'm buried with Christ just like Jesus died. I'm raised to walk just like Jesus was raised from the dead. It's a spirit, spiritual baptism that happens first, and then the picture of it afterwards. Well, thirdly, it's an act of obedience. And, and dear friends, I, I can't just push this off to the side. I want Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life. We talked about that last week, had a whole message about it. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. Therefore, when he tells me I need to do this, then I need to do it. Sometimes he tells me, subjectively, just sort of in my mind, in my heart, yeah, you know, this is what I ought to do. You know, you ought to maybe deliver a meal to someone, or you ought to go tell Jesus, tell someone about Jesus, or you ought to do this kind deed for someone. It's sort of in your mind, but some things are just in the Bible, just plain as day, and it's true for everybody. 
And if we're serious about the Lordship of Christ in our life, we want to obey him, do what, what God wants us to do. And he says, look, if you're, if you're going to get saved, you, what, the next thing you need to do is go public. You see, we don't have a private faith. We do have a personal faith. It is personal. And your story is different from my story. But it is not private. It is a public faith. We need to live in such a way that other people will want to come and know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And so it's those three things. It's, it's, it's an act of, in reverse, an act of obedience. It's the sim, symbolic thing, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But more than anything else, it's your pr- public profession of faith in Jesus Christ according to the Bible. So with that in mind, as I said, I'm spending most of my time in point number one, point number two. What is the method? Well, notice here in verse 13. He went to the Jordan. Why? Well, the Jordan was deep. It was deep water. He came up out of the water in verse 16. Why? Because he was in the water, right? I mean, he came up out of the water. That means he was in the water. And also, the word baptizo means to immerse uh, into the water. And there's symbolism involved. My goodness, I mean, you can't, you can't just brush that off. There's the symbolism of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And sprinkling, pouring, or any other of those kind of means does not really picture that. And so what is the mode of baptism? What is the method of baptism but by immersion? Now, I'm not going to get caught up in this. I'm just simply saying to you what the Bible teaches. Now, there are reformers that one that I'm going to quote, John Wesley started the Methodist Church. And then um, John Calvin was involved in uh, Reformed theology and Presbyterianism. Here's what they had to say during their lifetime. John Wesley said, No one was baptized any other way besides immersion until A.D. 250, and sprinkling or pouring was not practiced until A.D. 1300. That's 1300 years after the birth of Christ. Buried with him alludes to baptizing by immersion, according to the custom of the first church. John Calvin said, the word baptize signifies to immerse. It is certain that the immersion, immersion was the practice of the ancient church. Now, let me say this again. Your, your baptism today is, is not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary for obedience. You say, well, you know, I was sprinkled as a baby, poured on as a baby, or, or later in life, even later, after I was saved. Listen, let me just speak heart heart with you. I, uh, I want to live like Jesus lived, but I can't. I really can't do that. I mean, I'm making every effort, but I'm not Jesus. I can't do things as well as he does them. I just can't. But there's a few things that I can do just like Jesus did it. And getting baptized is one of them. Now, don't you want, and whatever's gone on in your past, don't you want to be baptized the way Jesus was baptized. So who are the candidates? Who can, who gets to be baptized? We see the what, we see the how. What about the who? Well, it's believers only. That's what believers' baptism is all about. The baptism always, always follows the salvation. Acts 2.41, so those who received his word were baptized. First they received the word, then they were baptized. There's a story in Acts chapter 8 And Acts is a very important book for church history. It's the history of the early church. It's what happened back then. And so there was a man called an Ethiopian eunuch. He was already converted to Judaism, so he was familiar with baptism, the the ceremonial washing part of it. 
to do it yourself. And so he's riding along in a chariot. He's reading the book of Isaiah. And God sent a, a disciple by the name of Philip out of nowhere, and from Samaria actually, and just go into the middle of the desert in the wilderness to talk to this man. And so he's talking to him, and he's sharing Jesus with him. And they came across a body of water. And he says, what hinders me from being baptized? Why can't I be baptized right now into the Christian faith? And he says, first believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you can be baptized. You see, the salvation always occurred in the Bible before the symbol. It's just like uh, my wedding ring. My wedding ring is a symbol of the fact that I got married. But my vows came before I slipped the ring on, most of them. There's a few of them left over, but most of them came before I slipped the ring on. You know, nobody goes around and buys a wedding ring and places it on their finger and says, well, you know, how long have you been married? Oh, I'm single. Well, you got a wedding ring on. Well, I put the wedding ring on because I'm hoping to get married one day. Okay? Nobody does that. No, the ceremony comes first, and then the ring. It's the symbol. Now, my wife Pam uh, was uh, baptized early in life, and uh, about a six-year-old, I think. And then um, later in life, she became assured of her salvation. This is a story of that, and then I got about the baptism story uh, tacked on right after that. So let's roll this right now. I had been a pastor's wife for about two years when we moved to Fort Worth, Texas to go to seminary. It was there that I began to wonder if the intellectual knowledge that I had of Christ was the same as my heart knowledge, and I doubted that it was. You see, I was saved at a young age. At the age of six, I made a decision to receive Christ into my heart, and then I was baptized. But as I grew up, I realized that I didn't really remember that time. I only remembered that people had told me that it had happened and I had seen pictures of the time that I was baptized. At this time, when we were in seminary, I began to doubt whether or not I had received Christ. I was pregnant with Brandon at the time and began to wonder why and how I would even tell him about Jesus when I wasn't really sure that I knew who he was myself. So we had gone to church that Sunday evening and the message was on assurance of your salvation. And I, we were lying in bed that night talking, and I asked Dwayne what he thought of the sermon. And he said, well, it was good, but it really didn't apply to me. And my response was that it did apply to me because I was unsure. At that point, I got down on my knees beside the bed and said to, to God, Jesus, if I have not received you into my heart, I pray that you would come in now and that I would never doubt whether or not I had received you as my personal Savior. Since that time, I haven't doubted, and I found confidence in, in my faith that I had never had before. And I know that if I were to die today, that I would go to heaven because I belong to him. Well, uh, a few years, a couple of years later, we were actually pastoring in Atlanta, and uh, this guy came in, preached this great message on salvation and baptism, and Pam got convicted that she had not been baptized on the right side of the cross. And so as a pastor's wife, she entered the waters of baptism and followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, look, I've been baptized before. But then you think, well, I don't even know if I'm saved back then. Well, you need to be baptized on the right side of the cross. The, the ring needs to come after the, the marriage vows, not before them. And so if you are here today and you have, you've followed the Lord in believer's baptism, even by immersion before, 
but you've been saved since then. You've really never been scripturally baptized because the scripturally it always follows the salvation experience. So you get to do it again, but really you get to do it for the first time. And then there's a question about infant baptism. Let me share with you, and not trying to get, be a smart aleck. I, I, sometimes I am a smart aleck, but not trying to be right now. Let me share with you how many times infant baptism is mentioned in the Bible. Are you ready? Are you ready? That many times. It's not mentioned in the Bible. Now, I know that it's mentioned a lot in church history, but it's not mentioned in the Bible. It's not mentioned around the Bible to where uh, we, we get any indication that it happened. In fact, the earliest we can determine is AD 251. Now, that's over 200 years after uh, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and the church began with the Holy Spirit coming down on the day of Pentecost. Over 200 years. People think, yeah, but, I mean, let's face it, we're studying church history from 2,000 years ago, and they baptized babies and infants for salvation uh, maybe in AD 251, so obviously they did it in the New Testament too. It just doesn't say that. That is an assumption that really we don't need to make. For example, 2,000 years from now, historians are going to be looking back at our century, and they'll be looking, if I can just say this, and, and they'll say, uh, gee, we had, they had contemporary Christian music in 2018. How many of you like that? You like that? Okay, good. Sorry, uh, Tim, about that. How many of you like that? Okay. Well, obviously, that back in, in, the, in 1776, and all the, all the nation becoming a nation for the first time, they celebrate in church with contemporary Christian music. And George Washington had holes in his jeans, all this striping down through here. And, uh, man, they had these, these huge uh, beards. Not that we have a lot of beards here. But, uh, and they had long hair, and, you know, as they beat on the bass, you know, George Washington's wig went back and forth. And we know that had to be. Or smartphones. Oh, my goodness. Well, they had this thing called a smartphone. How primitive were they with a smartphone? I mean, 2,000 years ago, they'll be thinking that. Well, they look back, 2018, they had a smartphone, so they must have had them in 1776. Must have. Had to have had them. No, they didn't. They didn't have to have them. Well, what historical reference do you have to smartphones or contemporary Christian music back in 1776? We don't have any. How much history? None of it. How, how, how many people testified 100 years later that they had? Nobody. But we just assumed they had it. You see, you can't make that kind of jump. You can't make that kind of assumption. Now, I don't, the reason why we, we dedicate babies but we don't have water because we just don't want to confuse people later thinking, okay, I've already been baptized, and maybe since I've been baptized, I've been saved, you know, I've been saved since I've, I've been baptized. And yet, there's been no heart change. Yet you didn't make a decision as an adult to follow Jesus. None of that happened. But somehow your parents got you in. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to condemn anything that your parents believe or what your churches believe. I, again, we're talking about what does the Bible teach. And the Bible teaches that baptism always follows the salvation experience. So finally, when should you be baptized? When? When? 
right away. Right after you're saved. The Ethiopian eunuch said, what hinders me from being baptized is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He got down out of the chariot after he received Christ, got down in the water, and he was baptized immediately. We see that all through the Bible. In the book of Acts in chapter 2, uh, 3,000 souls were saved. Now, they all got baptized immediately, making that public declaration of our faith. When is the best time? Right away. When my children were, were saved. All of them were saved around you know, elementary school, first grade, and... Uh, as they were saved, uh, they understood the gospel. That's the most important thing. Does a child really understand the gospel? Well, yeah, but they need to understand the symbolism of baptism. And all. No, they don't. They need to understand that's their public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Once they understand that, that's, that's what matters. So we baptized our kids as soon as they understood salvation, immediately. When do you do it? You do it right away. Delayed, listen to me. Delayed obedience is not obedience. Now, one of my favorite stories about baptism is told by my friend, um, pastor down in Naples, Florida, Hayes Wicker. Hayes is about my age, a little bit, maybe a little bit older, but back when he was in his 30s, he pastored this big church in Texas. And uh, in this church, it had a big historical older building. And um, the, they had steps, instead of an elevator like we have, they had steps leading up to the baptistry, and it was a lot of steps. And uh, people had to climb them, get to the top, and then they'd baptize them, they had to climb back down. He said one, he was about ready to baptize, he had his robe on, he, was, he turned around, and this 75-year-old man, somebody in his mid-70s anyway, was climbing the steps, and he had one of these breathing machines, he had emphysema. He had a breathing machine carrying it with him. And so Hayes, being the nice guy that he is, kind uh, fellow, uh, ran up four or five steps and said, look, let me help you with that. Let me help you. Uh, get, we can make other arrangements. You don't have to climb these steps. And he says, no, I want to. And he says, no, let me, let me help. No, he said, I want to do this by myself. If, and he said this. He said, if my Jesus can climb that hill on Calvary to die on the cross for me, I can take these steps for him. Well, when you think about it, all the excuses, you know, I'm going to get wet, people are going to see me, um, all those kind of excuses just pale when you think about a man making that kind of commitment. So what about you? Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.